Welcome back. And our first question is, I've heard you mention leftism a few times uh, with the implication that it is not good. Can you explain biblically why, since it has a lot of human uh, uh, humanitarianism? So, first, we have to uncouple a fraudulent link. I really love this question. I'll be, thank you for the question. Love the question. Okay. Are we told that before Christ comes, Satan will come impersonating Christ? And that he will do a lot of humanitarian works. He will heal the sick and miraculous healings and speak melodious words. He will do humanitarian things. Well, if somebody's doing humanitarian things, there certainly couldn't be anything wrong with what they're doing then, right? We should follow them. This is a this is a leap in logic. Just because someone's doing ha- something humanitarian, in fact, if you do a little digging in much of the corporate exploitation globally around the world, you will discover that corporations who pollute will have charities that they support to give them good PR. They're doing good humanitarian stuff, so you don't look too deep under the covers to see all the destruction that they're doing. So just because somebody's doing humanitarian work in no way supports what they're doing. Leftism in our, and then when they use the term leftism, words change meaning with time. And what I mean by that is I'm really speaking of um, the predominant movement of a godless worldview. This is uh, Now, there might be people on the left who believe in God. There might be. But the power brokers who run the left are primarily evolutionary, godless, green-seeking, save-ourselves worldview. And there may be people on the, on the right who don't believe in God and are evolutionary believing, but the primary power brokers that run the right are people who claim a belief in God. Understand from a biblical worldview that the power broker structures of leftism are king of the south dynamic stuff. Godlessness, evolutionism, humanism, communism, all this stuff is leftism, uh, which is uh, part of the king of the south. And you can read in our blog, King of the South, King of the North, where you see this: these two powers coming down through time. King of the North? Religious imperialism, represented by Babylon and Rome, where they had to claim a belief in God, but use the power of the state to enforce their belief on others. God's people in the prophecy are the beautiful land. They're neither left, leftism, nor rightism, conservatism. They're in a separate group. They don't get caught up into any of the world's structures. And they're called out of these structures. And so, yes, I criticize both leftism and, and rightism, um, but you'll find leftism primarily has to do with um, the godless worldview. And you should not be duped just because you see somebody doing humanitarian works to suggest that you would follow them for those reasons. Uh, in your booklet, The Final Message of Mercy to the World, the second judgment deals with how God works with the living people at the end of time. I don't see anything about an 1844 investigative judgment of the uh, past dead inhabitants of the earth. Uh, is there a legal accounting process uh, regarding the judgment of the dead going on in heaven as we speak? So if you open the document to page 17... To page 17, right here, it speaks about what you just mentioned, and then it says right here, you can read more about this incredible truth in our heavenly sanctuary and investigative judgment for the modern world uh, document, and it has one of those little, uh, what are those things called? QR code, where you can just put your device over, it'll take you right to the link, or you can go to our website, and on our website, uh, if you go to comeandreason.com on our website, 
at the very top of our website. You just go into our resources and go over to publications and hit publications. And the very document at the top is the Heavenly Sanctuary Investigative Judgment for the Modern World. And you can read it there, but you can download a PDF. And I would encourage you to check that out because I go into great detail to answer your question there. And it was included here so that uh, people that had exactly like you trigger that question. We wanted you to trigger that question. And now you've got a resource. So read that and see if that doesn't answer your question. Ellen White makes a statement that it will take a week to get to heaven. There are also, uh, there are, let's see, she also made statements about visiting other inhabited worlds at some point. Well, given that we are earthlings, can, can, we earthlings can now see hundreds of thousands of light years into the universe. What is up? Are we talking an entirely different level of existence? Well, the last question to answer is yes, we're talking an entire different level of existence. That's an absolute yes, without question. I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered the heart of man what God has in store for us. We can't comprehend what's going on. But the idea of a week, Ellen White actually uses the language, uh, we were seven days in traveling um, from here to the, to the Sea of Glass. Uh, that doesn't mean it's a requirement that it's going to take seven days. It doesn't say it will take seven days. That's not what she says. It says we're seven days in traveling. Okay, uh, why are we seven days in traveling? After um, Noah was locked in the ark, how many days until the flood came? Seven days, okay? You find that in Bible prophecy and scripture, um, there, this number seven comes up a lot. I think the seven um, is representative of a process. Uh, we don't fully necessarily appreciate why uh, it'll be seven days in traveling, but I, 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 it has, in my view, nothing to do with time of travel. If that's what we couldn't get there any faster, the fastest we could move would be seven days at at top light triple warp speed. Okay, no, I don't think that's what's going on there at all. It just has to do with something symbolic represented, and ma- most of the major changes spiritually um, in in Earth history and in the plan of salvation is accompanied by number seven. So it's, it's seven days symbolic. We're transitioning from earth to heaven. It's a seven day period. Uh, from the earth being chaos to the Sabbath rest in creation week, a seven day period. Uh, uh, the earth is being transitioned from the, the, uh, the pre-flood world to the post-flood world. Uh, seven days, uh, in the ark before the, the rains come. So I think this is really what's being suggested. This is a major transition point, um, happening for the people of God. The Feast of Tabernacles, celebrated for seven days. Yeah, another uh, metaphor there. Okay. Um, can you please explain to me Exodus thirty-one fourteen? Um, how are which uh, basically, if you uh, break the Sabbath, you're to be stoned. It says, how are we exempt from punishment of death when we fail to observe Sabbath as God required? Oh, I love this question too. This is this is great. Multiple multiple layers to this question, uh, and, and I thought. How should I approach the answer to this question? Multiple. Well, let's start with this one. Since we're, since we're referring to Old Testament law, we're, we're right there in the first five books of Moses. Um, I could hear this same argument going at Christ. How can you suggest this woman caught in adultery should not be stoned? Clearly the law says that she should be stoned. Do we have a Sabbath command? Stone? Do we have a adultery command? Stone? Both? Both part of the ten? What did Jesus do? Did he say, yes, that is what righteousness looks like. When you see somebody breaking one of my laws, the righteous will stone them. 
Is that what it looks like? Or here, here's another one for you. I'll read this one out of the, the same section of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy 21, starting in verse 18. See if you'd like to, to apply this. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when he disciplines him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. Should we apply that? Think, think what would happen if all of the addicts and alcoholics in our, in, our, in our world were taken out each week and stoned to death. That's been suggested. My arm would be sore, he said. So, so first point is, um, Jesus, by his example, led to a higher way of viewing reality. If Jesus got on earth, did not enforce this rule on an adulteress, why would we think this rule would be enforced on Sabbath? Why would we do that? And then we must ask, then why was the rule given? Why was the rule given? And this takes us back to under, this takes us back to understanding the people whom, with whom God was dealing. I, I give this uh, example. Um, back from the time of Desert Storm and Desert Shield, uh, when the United States occupied Iraq for the first time. And we put in a U.S. governor before we got a local, but there was a U.S. US citizen-made governor for a period of time over that area. And if you were the governor, you were put in there. Uh, I want to tell you a true story. There is a uh, local grocery store owner and his two employees were killed when the store was firebombed. And why was the store firebombed? Were they uh, colluding with Americans? Were they were they betraying their people? Were they doing child porn? I mean, why were they firebombed? No, they were firebombed because one of the local mullahs put out a fatwa, which was an order that celery stalks should not be displayed next to tomatoes in the store. Because supposedly it could represent, you know, a, a erect male. Okay, this was this was what the allegation was. Unfortunately, these people put some celery stalks and tomatoes in the store, so the store was firebombed, and three people were killed for breaking this rule. Now, if you now you are in your judgment as the governor of the U.S. governor of the Baghdadi people, which do you think is more serious if they were occurring, driving drunk or celery next to tomatoes? Which is a more serious offense? Driving drunk. You understand very clearly driving drunk is a much more serious offense. Then what penalty will you need to apply for driving drunk if you want to get the people to take it as serious as celery stalks and tomatoes if they believe that's a crime worth death? What penalty will you have to give drunk driving? It will have to be death. Perhaps plus torture. Yeah. Because because if you don't give them the death penalty, if you give them a five hundred dollar fine, a thousand dollar fine, ten days in jail, well, it's clearly not a serious celery stalks and tomatoes. This is what God was dealing with. This is why there was a stoning for the Sabbath breaking because these people had just been slaves, and slaves could be killed for anything. They had very little value of life, and this is what they thought. They if somebody somebody stole something of theirs, and they had the, they could kill them. 
And this is why he also set up an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, limb for limb, life for life. So you couldn't kill him for everything. You could only kill him for life for life. That's why. So, no, we are not, uh, we, we should not expect God to kill somebody for, for breaking the Sabbath. Okay, what does it mean that humans are made a little lower than the angels? Well, I'd like to find a text that actually says humans are made lower than the angels, which you'll find in Hebrews in two places that Jesus was, was, was made or placed a little lower than the angels when Jesus became sin for us that didn't know sin. He took upon himself fallen humanity. My understanding is that humanity was actually created in Eden to be the pinnacle of creation, the completion of creation, the final beings made in the fullness of God's image, to be a training ground, and ultimately we are again elevated back to a place where we share the throne of God. And some uh, understand it righteously, uh, or some, some understand that in our righteous recreation, that we will uh, become rulers of galaxies and planets and worlds, uh, 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 that we, the righteous, become the people who have a throne in this galaxy or a throne on this planet, and we represent Christ as his agents uh, reigning throughout the universe, that we are elevated above all. Because we have the greatest, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. And the rulership in God's kingdom are those who love the most. And we have the greatest sense of God's love and what it means to be delivered. And we have the greatest compassion and the greatest mercy through experience. And thus we have the greatest capacity to manifest that and teach that to others. And so there's this aspect. I don't, I don't believe humanity was created uh, lower than the angels. I think Christ was designated or placed as a as a human being lower than the angels because humanity at that point had fallen lower than the angels. But they're going to be elevated higher. Okay. Um, does living... Uh, this this question, um, uh, it, 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 it doesn't make sense, so I don't know what you're asking, so you'll need to resubmit that. Uh, I'll, I'll, you probably are curious. I'll read it, um, but... Does living host prion disease diagnosis confirmation difficulty offer a part of an explanation? <laughs> That's not a full question. Explanation of what? Explanation of what? So uh, I don't know what you're asking. Uh, how do you stop thinking about things that bother you? So as a psychiatrist, I hear a question like this quite differently perhaps than a non-psychiatrist does. Uh, so I'm going to make the assumption here we're not actually speaking about organic brain disease. We're not speaking about schizophrenics who have delusional thoughts, okay? uh, and those delusional thoughts are persecutory delusions. Uh, we're not talking about somebody in a manic psychosis. We're not talking about somebody with obsessive-compulsive disorder that have intrusive thoughts. That No, all those are organic physiologic problems, and that's a different question. Uh, I'm going to take this as how do you stop thinking about things that bother you and there's no uh, physiological disease state causing it, okay? And the, and the primary answer is shift your focus, okay? Uh, you fill your cup up with what is good and not focus your energy on trying to resist what is bad. If I tell you, now, I want you to spend an hour a day working on not thinking about pink elephants. Don't think about resist pink elephants. Think about how all the ways you can uh, not think about pink elephants, okay? What will happen is you reinforce pink elephants in your mind. 
Okay? Trying to resist uh, thoughts that trouble you by thinking about how you sh- don't need to be thinking about those things completely uh, activates the circuits that reinforce those very thoughts. The way you do that instead is you find other things that are uplifting, rewarding, whatever is righteous, uh, what's the Philippians text, whatever is righteous, praiseworthy, noble, true, all this. This is what you spend time on. Really spend several hours a day on filling your mind with righteous, holy, godly things, and the, the negative will, will fade away. You'll stop thinking about them. That's how you do that. Uh, in discussion um, about what Jesus accomplished for humanity, we were thinking about what Jesus does for humanity. The question came up, does becoming a child of God change our DNA, or is Jesus as the second Adam impacting our epigenetics? Okay, two, so, so, two, two elements. Our DNA in the sequences of our DNA get replaced when the mortal puts on immortality and the corruption puts on incorruption. We do not get perfected biology until the second coming. Okay? Even people who were resurrected in Scripture, Lazarus, when he was resurrected there, that resurrection was not the glorification resurrection. He died sometime later. We weren't told, but he still was living in a fallen humanity that had genetic um, mutations in his in his humanity. He aged still, in other words, okay? So we don't get the new sequences of DNA until the mortal puts on immortality. Epigenetically speaking, though, every activity of life alters how your genes are being expressed. Food you eat, the things you worship, what you uh, read, uh, the relationships you engage in, um, the choices that you make alter which genes are turned on and how they're turned on and which genes are turned off and how they're turned off. Epigenetically, we're changing constantly. And so those who come to Christ and begin living a godly life will experience epigenetic modification uh, of their gene expression. The sequences remain the same. You're not getting a new DNA sequence. But which ones are open and which ones are closed, which are turned off and which are turned on, and so forth, those will be changed based on life experiences. Let's see. What do you think? Okay. Um, Hebrews 10.14. As I have understood, uh, it says we are counted righteous, uh, Hebrews 10, 14, as I understand it, we says we are counted righteous all the while we are being made righteous through the Holy Spirit working in us, um, that it takes time for us to be made righteous. The penal view, the penal view, the penal view, right? Uh, in the design view, though, I'm hearing that we are made righteous instantly when we accept Jesus and trust him. Please explain. So, when we, the natural heart is enmity to God. It's against him. It doesn't trust him. When we come to conversion, we surrender the heart and we are, you can use the metaphor, reborn, recreated, renewed. The heart is set right with God. That setting of the heart right or putting the heart right, the Latin term for that is justification. The heart that was once against God and did not trust him, that heart now is set right and does trust him. That's justification. That person is now right or righteous with God. They have a heart that desires to do good. Read Romans chapter 7. The righteous heart wants to do good, but that righteous heart now lives in a biology that has practiced unrighteous living. And because the righteous 
new heart that wants to do good lives in a biology with neural wiring, preconditioned responses, habit patterns of unrighteous behaviors from the past, there are times where reflex responses, conditioned responses, habit patterns come forth where we discover we're doing things that our new heart doesn't want to do. And we go, oh, what a wretched man and I. Who will save me from this body of death? That is not a conversion, unconversion, conversion, unconversion, conversion, unconversion. The unconverted person, when they do wicked, they like it. They justify it. They brag about it. You read about that in Romans 1. They brag about their wickedness, and they have parties over it, and they encourage other people to do it too. That's the unconverted. They justify, externalize, plain, explain why it's, it's good to do the evil. But the converted person, when they find themselves doing some of the things that their new heart doesn't want to do, they grieve in their heart. Oh, this is not the good that I want to do. No, the good that I want to do, I don't always do. And sometimes the bad I don't want to do, I find myself doing. That is not an unrighteous person. That's a righteous person. They are becoming the righteous God. But but in the fallen state in which we live, there is maturing and growth. There's neural wiring that has to take place. And as we grieve in our heart and we practice new behaviors, we expand our neural net. And new habit patterns take place. And old habit patterns are pruned away. And we are being transformed. That's a Latin word, sanctification. But the sanctification process, the growing and maturing, uh, is not, uh, is not uh, that we were unrighteous and now we've become righteous. You're righteous the whole time. You're set right with God. You trust him in the process. That's what righteousness is. And then perfection, being perfected, is not that we um, become flawless in our biology. Um, that's glorification. Bible perfection is that we settle into the truth such that we will not betray Jesus. I don't know um, if uh, Job ever got irritated in his emotions with his friends. He certainly had emotions of discouragement, and we have that. Frustration he expresses even to God. But he never, in his frustration, what did he do with it? He took it to God. You won't even talk to me. He didn't betray that relationship. And that's what the mature do. And so, that's how I explain that. Uh, so Genesis 3.21, did God kill the animal or was it, uh, uh, or was it after death came? I think you're talking about um, there in Genesis 3.21 when God made skins for them. The Bible doesn't tell you. It, it, it certainly does not in any way give. There is zero inspiration that God killed the animal. There is zero inspiration that Adam killed the animal. What we have inspiration for is God gave them skins. Now, what's harder for the creator, to create living animals, to create living animals, or to create skins from animals? Which is a harder act to do? To create an entire galaxy or a... I mean, seriously, if he created the animals on day six out of nothing, how easy is it to say, oh, here's some animal skins? I mean, please, folks. Pardon? These weren't just skins that had been taken off a dead animal and had been made to close. They would not have known what to do with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Trousers and, and a skirt. D- do you think he gave her a pantsuit? <laughs> or no, women can only wear dresses. That was the first dress right there. <laughs> Some have suggested that prior to this, they were robed in light and that he actually gave them human skin. That they didn't have human skin. They were human beings that were covered externally in light, and when the light was gone, 
uh, they, he, he then gave them their integumentary system. <laughs> okay? One translation of Bible is translation breaches. He gave them breaches. Right. And so it's called a breach translation. Right. So I'm, I'm not saying um, that that is, uh, is what happened. I'm just saying some people suggest that is what happened. If God killing for the lamb there would have future implications of God killing. The- Correct. Oh, thank you for that. So, yes, he points out that had God, had the Bible given us a record of God slaying the lamb there in Eden, it would give future implications in the object lesson that God killed Jesus. And this is why the penal legal people want to, and they actually use this as a text to say God killed the lamb. Well, there's no, it's, it's absolutely a misapplication. You cannot use this for that if you're going to be honest about what the scripture says. But, but you're exactly correct. They want to believe that because they believe that Jesus, or they read back into it. Well, we know God killed Jesus on the cross, therefore he had to kill the lamb because justice requires it okay so and then i says what does the n95 mask accomplish uh even with a face shield for the ocular mucosa is uh, a swirl of airborne particles rubbing uh, the eyes etc <laughs> the masks in the community wearing I've, i in one of my dot, in one of our, our blogs, I could find it for you. There have been study after study after study after study. And they all show they have no benefit in viral, and stop in community mask wearing, zero benefit in stopping viral transmission. Period. In fact, the data is now emerging that those who wear masks have more, more respiratory infections, more skin infections. Because the body's natural immune system wants to expel things. And if you wear a mask, you rebreathe the stuff your body's trying to get rid of over and over again. And you actually have higher infection rates of various kinds, not just viral uh, strep and other things. Um, so you're exactly right. The N95 masks make no difference. The primary purpose of, of mandated mask wearing, and I, I, I want to be recall, I have no issues with voluntary mask wearing. Never have. Back, if you remember before COVID, how many remember before COVID that occasionally if you're traveling internationally, you'll see people from, the, from Asia on planes wearing masks? This has been going on for, for ever since the Asian flu. I've never had a problem. Nobody's had a problem. Never. Anybody wants to wear a mask? Let them wear a mask. That's good. I had one patient. <laughs> one patient. She wears a mask, and, and, and I, I tell my patients they're going to see me. I, by the way, I've never required mask wearing in my office from the day one, not one. Because, well, partly because from what I do, it's very important to see facial expression for what I do. Communication is very important. But, but from all the patients I've ever come into my office, no, 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 never required it. Never required it. I still, uh, you know, knock on wood, I, I, I haven't gotten sick. I haven't had a day of sickness in this entire time. Um, but I, I haven't recovered. But one patient was wearing it, I said, and she didn't want to take it off. I said, um, why are you wearing it? Well, I lost one of my front teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't want people to see my teeth until I get my teeth fixed. But you know what? That's a good reason to wear a mask right there. Yeah, that's functional right there. Yeah, that works. Uh, but, uh, but, the, the primary reason for mandates, understand the mandated mask wearing, it, it, it has the purpose of inciting fear. It reminds you, be afraid. There's something you can't see that might kill you at any moment, make you afraid, and give you the illusion that you're doing something to make yourself feel safe. That's its primary purposes. This is one of the reasons I don't wear them, because I don't want to bear false witness. I think it's a false witness 
to wear a mask that would suggest to people in a context in which we're living right now, in a context in which we're living. Prior to this, it was never an issue of false witness. Wear your mask. Who cares? Nobody, nobody But right now, you wear a mask in some places. You're saying you believe that these are beneficial and they're helpful when the data suggests they're actually not. You know, most many countries around the world now are not only getting rid of masks, they're getting rid of all mandates. Denmark, all mandates of any kind are gone. Uh, the, the, all the Scandinavian countries getting rid of them all. Most of the countries, Britain has gotten rid of most of their mandates now because they don't work. They never did. This entire thing, I'll take another minute on this. Just understand, from the very beginning, almost everything, and you go back and watch, listen to our Sabbath school classes from a year and a half to two years ago, we have been on the right side of this because we've been promoting the principles of God, truth, liberty, and freedom from all along. And I said in the very beginning of this, that the evidence does not suggest this is a serious enough illness to warrant a vaccine to be made in the first place. But then what did they make? They did not make a vaccine by the historical definition of an immunizing agent that gives you immunity from the disease. They made a therapeutic that is designed to reduce severity of illness. But they did not come out and tell us this will not prevent infection. They didn't tell us. They didn't tell us that this won't uh, prevent transmission or reinfection. It will make you less sick if you should get infected, for that very vulnerable population, which is about less than half a percentage of the population is vulnerable to dying from this. But they didn't tell us that. They told us, if we vaccinate enough people, we'll stop it. We'll stop it in its tracks. We get herd immunity. It'll be, we'll be done with this thing. Two weeks to flatten the curve. Two weeks to flatten the curve. I mean, remember all this? It was all, they knew. It wasn't that they thought and then they discovered. No, they knew. They were never designed nor intended to be able to immunize people, ever. It was a lie from the beginning. And they continue to lie. And you should ask yourself, why? These are what they call noble lies. What they, what they call noble lies. Understand the reason for these so-called noble lies. This is not how love functions. Love does not fun- love. This, love is, and we didn't get to it in class. I was going to get to it. This, the Holy Spirit, spirit of truth and love, and truth and love. You divide the two. Truth, get the right doctrines. Without love, then you persecute people who break your doctrines, like the Jews did to Christ. They had the right Sabbath, etc., etc., etc. But they certainly did not have love. You have love without truth, then you end up with sentimentalism and emotionalism and over-empathy, and you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, and you don't want to stand up, and you don't want to speak the truth. And so you get, you get paralyzed into indulging destructive behaviors. The spirit is the spirit of truth and love, and we want to speak the truth and love and leave, leave people free. That's God's way. Mandates don't do that. And so they lied to us from the beginning. And the reason they lied is because they called these noble lies. Love does not give noble lies. But do you understand the implication of why they do it? Well, we want to save lives. So what are you saying? Are you saying that if you told people from the beginning that these will not immunize them, they will not prevent infection, they will not prevent spread, but they will get less than 1% absolute risk reduction if they take this thing, with an unknown potential long-term risks and consequences that we, because it's brand new, we don't know what the long-term consequences are going to be. So you can't tell me what my risk will be, but my absolute benefit is going to be less than 1%. And, and it won't actually prevent me from getting infected anyway. And I can still spread it to people anyway. Um, do you think if we told people that, that you would have majority of people taking it? No. That's why they lied. They knew it would undermine people's willingness to take it. So they lie. 
truth does not function. Love does not function that way. This was not acts of mercy, acts of love, but they couched it under, we're just trying to save lives. We're just trying to keep the system from being overwhelmed. Yeah, right. That's why they fired people who were recovered and didn't want to get the injection because we, we, we were so overwhelmed we didn't have enough staff, so we'll fire the staff we have who are the safest in society and are least likely to get reinfected and least likely to spread it. We'll fire them because they didn't get the injection because we really want to keep our systems open and working. Everything they've done is a lie, practically everything. It's corrupt. You should really be asking the question. I'm going to say it again. If you want to be informed, again, people think I'm being a conservative, political right. This is a lifelong Democrat from a Democrat family, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's strongly Democrat still, left-leaning. This book, 4,000 references, he exposes it like you've never seen. Uh, I didn't read this book until just, uh, and, and thank you, Ken, for sending it to me. He sent it to me as a gift. Um, I didn't read this book until, what, starting three weeks or so ago. So everything I've been, and everything I've been saying, the documentation backs it up. It's there if you really want evidence that confirms it. So I will tell you, though, lots of people don't. Thank you. All this goes with prayer. Thank you, Lord. We're living in a world where people are just so vulnerable to authoritarianism and declarations and proclamations. We really want to uplift your methods, your character of truth, love, freedom, where we want to inspire people to come and reason together where they can be fully persuaded in their own mind and that we will love them no matter what conclusion they come to. We'll never force them. We thank you for the way you work, Lord, and we just pray we'll have more people come to your kingdom. In your holy name, amen.